want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing owner's earnings and why net income and earnings per share can be deceiving. Before I get started, I wanted to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Simply hit pause and rate this podcast in your podcast player, whether that's the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or another podcast app. I would really appreciate it. You can also do so after listening to the show. Your ratings and reviews help me to grow the podcast audience and help me spread the word to more people. Thank you for your support. So let's dive right on in into owner's earnings. So a little brief outline so you understand where I'm going with this. We'll start with discussing what is net income and what are earnings per share. Then we'll follow that up with the problems with net income and earnings per share when used as a metric for investment, as well as the implications for the usefulness of PE ratios. I'll follow that with discussing owner's earnings and why it's a better metric, and then how to calculate owner's earnings. So let's begin with net income. First of all, what is net income? Net income is the amount of money that a company earns after all of its expenses and after it pays its taxes. So that means that net income is the reported number. This is the gap or general accepted accounting principles income number reported on a quarterly basis in the United States. Abroad, there's also a different accounting system, but basically it comes down to net income being the amount of money that a company has earned in profit. This is the amount of company, and this is after all their expenses and after they've paid their taxes. You might have heard of other numbers like EBIT or EBITDA. That is not net income, and that's not what we're talking about today. So, Net income ties in very closely with earnings per share. And as I talked about, net income really means the amount of money, the amount of profit that a company has earned. It's also equivalent or synonymous with earnings. So net income and earnings are synonymous when most people discuss what a company is earning. They're talking about income is earnings. Those are the same thing. So earnings per share is basically net income divided by the total number of shares outstanding in the company. So companies are broken up into a lot of different parts. We call this their stock. The company's stock is broken up into shares, and there could be millions or billions of shares in a company. When you buy one of those shares, you have gained a percentage interest in all earnings that the company owns earns, which means that as a shareholder, the net income of the company is your income, 
but it's your income on a pro rata basis compared to the number of shares you have, which is why earnings per share is important. This tells you that how much money has the company earned per share? So if a company is earning a million dollars and they have a million shares outstanding, then the earnings per share is $1 per share. And if you own 100 shares, then your earnings for that quarter or for that year is $100. This is useful because companies don't always pay out all of their earnings as dividends. So it's nice to have a metric for how well your investment is performing whether a company pays dividends or not. And the earnings is a very easy metric for you to use that says, my investment earned X amount over this time period. So that's $100 over this time period or $1,000 over this time period. And that's a way for you to compare how your investments are performing and giving you returns compared to, say, your labor giving you returns. So with your labor, you receive a, a weekly, monthly, bi-monthly paycheck, and that's an income. And when you compare that to how much you're earning from your investments, you can use that as a metric to see how your investments are performing over time. Ideally, that number is going to grow over time. And that's how I look at my own investments is I look at what are the earnings per share, adding up all the shares that I own for each company and get a total number of this is how much my investments are earning over the next year. So I can compare my annual investment income to my annual labor income with the idea that eventually I want my investment income to exceed my labor income. And that's when you reach financial independence. So we've covered net income and we've covered the practical uses of earnings per share, which is net income broken down into a per share number. Now let's discuss the problems with net income and earnings per share as a metric for investment. The primary issue with using net income and earnings per share as your metric for investment is that it's not equal or equivalent across all companies. Because some companies have are very capital intensive, which means that when they make a profit, you have to put a lot of that profit back into the business in order to continue to make profits in future years. Um, the small farm is a very good example of this. When farmers make money, their profits at the end of the season a lot of time have to be reinvested in the farm, purchasing new equipment, purchasing new seeds, you know, let's say a new tractor, and their profits then become seen in assets that are now available on the farm. And they're not seen as cash that you can extract and use to pay for things like taking a nice vacation or you know, sending your kids to college or putting food on the table. Food on the table is a little ironic because we're talking about farmers, but basically the idea is that when you focus purely on net income, doesn't tell you enough information to make a good investment because what you're really wanting to know as an investor is how much money you are gaining from the company each year. A lot of times we use dividends for this. This is a way where you can say, okay, well, I know that the company is paying me a dividend of, let's say, 2% or 3%. And so that 2% is cash that I'm receiving. And that's the money that I'm receiving each year. Well, the issue is, is that it's quite possible that your company is earning higher levels of cash, which they are keeping and reinvesting to grow the business, or they're keeping some of the money because they need to reinvest it 
simply as maintenance in the business. And if you just look at the profitability number, the net income or the earnings per share, you don't know what percentage of the earnings per share is needed for continued maintenance, what percentage of earnings per share can be paid out as dividends if the company wants, and what percentage of earnings per share is being used for growth in the company. And while this is understandable, it means that if you're using a metric that builds off earnings per share or builds off net income or profitability, you can run into problems because it's going to say that a company that is in the advertising business, which has very low reinvestment requirements, it's very low capital intensive, intensive, intensivity, that's not a word, has very low capital expenditure requirements. And you compare that to like the airline business, which have very high capital expenditure requirements where they have to pay large costs for purchasing more planes or leasing more planes. And if they want to grow or maintain the business, they have to spend a lot of money to do so. And what it does is if you receive a billion dollars in profits as a company, as an airline, and you receive a billion dollars in profits as a company in the advertising industry, those are not equivalent. But if you look at reported metrics, if you look at a screener, they're going to both say that the net income and the profitability is the same. And so you'd think you could pay the same price for those two businesses and you it would turn out with the same result. And that would be wrong. And that's where we need to understand that net income and earnings per share are not a good metric for really understanding the performance of a company. They're good on the surface and they're a good quick effort that you can use to have a basic understanding of how a company's performing. Obviously, if a company's profitable, they're doing well, but it doesn't tell you everything you want to know. So what does this mean for the usefulness of like a P-E ratio? P-E ratios, I believe, are the most popular way of evaluating businesses in the markets today. Basically, this is your price to earning ratio, and you're taking the price of the stock, dividing it by its earnings or earnings per share, and that is giving you a number, whether that's a price to earnings ratio of 10, 15, 20, 25, or higher. It gives you some idea of the relative attractiveness of a company compared to others. Um, so a little background on P.E. ratios. The historic P.E. ratio for the S&P 500 has been around 15 is average. And so that means that generally um, a properly valued stock ended up around a P.E. ratio of 15. If the P.E. ratio was lower, like 10, that was potentially an undervalued stock. If the P.E. ratio was higher, like 20 or 25, it was potentially an overvalued stock. And in the markets today, you have a lot of noise about P.E. ratios. You have very high growth companies that have high P.E. ratios and like in the 50s or 100. Amazon is a good example of that Um, or Netflix or something along those lines. And then you also have P.E. ratios, which are quite low and can be below 10. And that's something like an airline. Now, if you think back to what I was saying earlier, this can also make some sense. And you might look at an airline at a PE ratio of seven and say, hey, that's cheap. That's lower than the average of 15. And if you compare that to, say, an advertising company with a PE ratio of 20, or, well, 
they're not at 20 right now, so let's use a different example. Um, like a consumer packaged goods company like Coca-Cola trading at a P.E. ratio at around 20. And you say, okay, well, I can buy Coca-Cola with a P.E. of 20. Or I can buy an airline with a P.E. of 7. Well, the airline's cheaper. Not necessarily, because again, Coca-Cola receives incredibly high returns on capital that they invest in their business, so they have low capital requirements compared to a company like an airline, whether that's Delta Airlines, Southwest Airlines, just some examples. So it's quite possible that a P.E. ratio of 7 could be appropriate for an airline, and a P.E. ratio of 20 could be appropriate for Coca-Cola and the other software com- or soft drink companies, not software companies. So... If that's the case, that a P.E. ratio is not telling us sufficient information to understand the business, then we need a better metric. And that's where owner's earnings come in. Owner's earnings are the preferred metric by the famous Warren Buffett, uh, the current standing value investor that gets the most press and the most attention is Warren Buffett. And his metric for evaluating companies is called owner's earnings. And it's also the metric that I use for evaluating owner's earnings because I believe it is the most impactful in helping you understand the true performance of a business. And the reason this is important is not because net income or earnings per share is not useful, but it's important because it's more useful. And the reason it's more useful is that if you say an airline has owner's earnings of a billion dollars and Coca-Cola has owner's earnings of a billion dollars, those are directly comparable. Now, if you compare that to what, for those same billion dollars, what that might mean in net income per share, that could be drastically different. For an airline to have owner's earnings of a billion dollars, they might need net income or total profits of $2 billion or $3 billion. But for Coca-Cola to have owner's earnings of a billion dollars, they might not only need total profit of $1.2 billion. And what you can see is that the owner's earnings for Coca-Cola are a higher percentage of the net income than they are for the airline. And this is where, if that proves to be true, you can look at companies and compare their owner's earnings and know that that is a reasonable way to then evaluate them. If your P.E. ratio was a price-to-owner's earnings ratio, that would be useful instead of a price-to-net-income ratio. And that's not as useful. And so I realize I haven't fully described what owner's earnings are. And owner's earnings, here's a brief definition for you, are earnings that can be paid out in cash to shareholders without impacting the earnings power of the business. So let's break this up into parts. So their earnings, so it, it is important that these are profits. These are profits from the company, but they're profits that can be paid out in cash. So these are your cash profits. It's similar to some free cash flow metrics, um, but the reason it shifted is because sometimes the cash flow calculations don't take into account all the same things. But these are your cash earnings that you can pull out of a business that will allow the business to continue making the same amount of money the next year. So if Coca-Cola earned a billion dollars this year 
and we want them to earn at least a billion dollars next year, how much money can we pull out of the business and still have them earn a billion dollars next year? That's the owner's earnings for Coca-Cola. So a key aspect here is this is earnings that can be paid out to shareholders. This is not the earnings that necessarily are paid out to shareholders. So one caveat and one way to evaluate this is that you need to assume that these are the amount of cash paid out to shareholders in dividends or share buybacks if the company were to use a 100% payout policy. So if, let's say, Coca-Cola decided to pay out 100% of their earnings that they could every year, then this is the amount that they would be able to pay out without impacting their business. And that's really key because they could always pay out the total, you know, more than this, but then that might have a negative impact on the business. And in order to have a roughly comparable number, we really need it to be the amount of dividends that could be paid out without impacting the business. This is without impacting the business negatively and without impacting the business positively as well. So really what we're looking for is to get down to a final number that is comparable across all companies. And so if the owner's earnings is higher for company A than company B, then you should be very comfortable paying more money for company A than company B, assuming all else is equal, assuming that they're both growing at the same rates and everything like that, because you know that it has higher owner's earnings. So with that strong introduction onto owner's earnings, let's really talk about how we calculate it, because this is what's important. And the core aspect of owner's earnings is you need to take your net income, your reported net income, and you need to adjust it. You need to adjust it for things that are basically making it difficult to see the true underlying quality of the business because net income is a government-required report. They're required to make this number stated and it doesn't tell you everything that you want to know if you want to compare businesses against each other. So the best breakdown I've seen on calculating this has been done by Joshua Kennan, and I will link to his article about calculating owner's earnings in the show notes, but I really want to share what the basic formula for this is. And before I get into the little details, what you really are trying to understand is you take net income and you make adjustments based upon things that get you back to where you're trying to go. Remember, owner's earnings are the stuff that you could pay out to cash, pay out in cash to shareholders without impacting the earning power of the business, which means you need to take away cash that's needed to maintain the business and you need to add back reductions in net income that aren't needed to maintain the business. So if you have maintenance capital, you need to add that back to reported net or you need to reduce that from reported net income because that is money that you need to pay every year to maintain the current output. Um, But you need to add the amount of money that you are using to spend on capital expenditures in the form of depreciation that is used for growth. And this is where it becomes important because most companies don't actually report how much money they're spending on capital 
projects that go towards growth and how much money they're spending on capital projects that go towards maintenance. Those two things are usually not separated. And when that happens, you really have to dig down deep and really study the company in order to make a good estimate of that. So let's cover some of the things that are used in this. So if you take reported net income and you add back depreciation and amortization, that's the first step. And depreciation, of course, is your historic expenditures on capital, which presumably have been spent on growing the business up to its current rate. Amortization could be stuff like goodwill amortization or intangible amortization. But either way, these are non-cash charges, which is the key aspect. So you're trying to go from a net income number into a cash number. And so we need to add back depreciation and amortization. Then you need to make some adjustments based upon any changes in inventory reserves, stuff about um, inventory that's going obsolete or something along those lines. Depending upon which direction the company is reporting those numbers, you may or may not want to make some manual adjustments to that. You also might want to make some manual adjustments either higher or lower. For anything that's changing the accounting in the business, when you review a 10K and the reported disclosures by a company, they almost always report some sort of changes in accounting, and you need to make a judgment call on whether those accounting changes are really affecting the value of the business and whether it's getting you further or closer to owner's earnings. Then you want to add then you want to take into account the required working capital in the business. So there's some capital that needs to be spent every year or maintained that you need to factor into some sort of annual working capital number that is needed to be maintained. So this is like cash, this is um that's used for paying bills, used for paying you know, employee salaries, used for buying inventory before you're able to sell it. Whatever the working capital number is, you need to have some understanding of that, and that's reported in the financial statements, and you need to adjust that income accordingly because that you need to reduce it by the amount that's needed from your annual profits. That's what I said about how, you know, in terms of farming, you have to own seeds. You have to buy seeds every year in order to do your farming the next year. And so the purchasing of that working capital, because that's what's in your seeds or that's what's in your tractor is part of that expense. And then of course you also want to subtract, as I said before, the maintenance capital expenditures that are needed to maintain your current unit output. And remember, this is only the maintenance capital expenditures. This is not growth. And this is where it gets somewhat difficult. Next, you want to make some sort of adjustment if the pension is over or underfunded. If you were managing the business yourself, you need to see how much money you need to set aside each year in order to get back to um, a normally funded pension. If the pension's underfunded, this means that you need to reduce net income accordingly. If the pension's overfunded, you might be able to add money to the net income number to get a better idea of your cash extraction value. And then you can adjust anything, make another adjustment if there's other cash inflows or outflows that weren't taken into account. But if you do this and you make all these adjustments to your net income, then you're going to end up with basically a stable cash flow value that as an owner, if you wanted the business to not grow and you wanted to take 100% of the money out of the company and just maintain your current competitive position, this is your owner's earnings number. And 
What you want to do then is you can take that number and compare it to how much money is needed to invest in the business. You can see how, you know, the tangible assets involved. This number can allow you to have a good idea of the quality of the business because it will tell you how much money you're able to earn compared to future investments. And it'll also give you an idea of how valuable future growth is. You know, if you have a high owner's earnings to capital ratio, that means that it's actually probably beneficial for you not to have a 100% dividend policy because it means that any growth that you gain, let's say if you're getting 20% return on your growth, then you want to invest a lot of money in that because you can probably not find easy 20% returns by taking dividends out and investing it in other stocks. You want to keep that money invested in this business. And so that's the sort of way that you want to think about owner's earnings, and that's how I would calculate it. Again, this calculation is taken from Joshua Kinnon's website, which I have the link in the show notes, and I highly encourage you to check it out. It is a very good article discussing the differences between intrinsic value, earnings per share, cash flows, and owner's earnings. And so I highly encourage you to check that out. I certainly learned a lot from it, and I believe you can as well. I read that article a few years ago, and I have adopted it since into my investment strategy. So thank you for listening to this show. And if you are interested in finding out more about how I calculate intrinsic value and the different intrinsic value reports that I have published, please consider becoming a patron of the show where you can learn more about this at diyinvesting.org patron. And if you do become a patron, you'll get access to all of my investment research that I am doing and be able to see the stocks that I am buying and learn more from me by seeing the individual experience that I'm putting forth. Thank you for supporting the show. And I look forward to hearing from you to talk to you next time. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.